Hello, everyone. Al Madrigal from the All Things Comedy Network. Uh, quick message about fundraising. Thank you so much for listening to an All Things Comedy podcast that you are supporting here. We have a sticker uh, that you can buy for five bucks. It says, I support All Things Comedy. If you can go to TubeStart.com, we have a brief campaign going to support our new studio. No one's making money off of this. We're hoping to just have this studio support the comics and make sure they can record in a great place at no charge. And thanks to you. All right. Appreciate it. Allthingscomedy.com, tubestart.com. Thank you very much. Coming to you from New York City, this week and every week, it's the Ben Kissel Show. Welcome to the show, everyone. Uh, that's Mike Coscarelli. I'm Ben Kissel. We're joined by Curtis Leewood today, which is a great honor. Thanks for being here, Curtis. Oh, it's not my pleasure at all. Couldn't <laughs> be worse for me. All the families during Thanksgiving. I've created so many families out there. I get tired just from going from family to family, having the Yentas right. yell at me, and then hiding the kids from them. What is it about your personality that makes you think that you should spread it around, that you should have seeds all over the goddamn New York State? I absolutely was a believer that abstinence is the cure. Unfortunately, like a lot of politicians, I didn't necessarily practice what I preached. Right. And now I'm stuck in family court in perpetuity. Every freaking nickel, dime, uh, penny, they want a piece out of it. Oh, it's, well, those kids must be loaded. <laughs> Can't imagine. No, it's the lawyers. The Curtis Lee split six ways. Right. How much cash is that? By the time the kids get what they're rightfully entitled to, the lawyers have gotten their cut. And you know something? They say, hey, in the system... Is there a better system in the world? I'm sure there is. Let's pursue it. Uh-huh. Well, they're lucky kids to share the last name, Sliwa. Where, what did your parents do, Curtis? Ah, now they were the best. Uh, blue-collar working class. My dad from Chi-Town, Chicago. Nice. Merchant seaman for 46 years. And my mother uh, from Canarsie, Brooklyn. And it, could, it just can't get better, the combination, because when I was growing up, all the whacked out, crazy, insane ideas that I had then that I continue to have now. Right. They never said no to. All my dad and mom did was look at me strangely, of course, when I first would reveal to them what was actually going on within the recesses of my mind. What was something that you revealed to them where your father looked at you and he was just like, did you have an affair? Did you have an affair with somebody? This can't be my kid. No, actually, this was at the time I still was in love with my baseball glove. I was sleeping with my baseball glove. <laughs> Uh, remember, you had to have two back then for softball season, for the 13-inch clincher. You couldn't use the same glove for hardball, so yeah. I slept with two gloves at the same time. You know, it was it was a menage a trois with Rawlings baseball gloves. But I went from that to almost chasing skirts, and then all of a sudden being attracted to garbage. Now, well, hold on. <laughs> so you went from two baseball and uh, one baseball glove, one softball glove, to almost chasing skirts, which I assume are women. Uh, of uh, course, of yeah. course. Back then, uh, they wouldn't let me in home economics. You know, I always chase pantsuits. I have a Hillary Clinton thing. Right. I can't get enough of a lady in a pantsuit. Polyester does that turn you on? Oh, so much. Yes. It's ridiculous. That figures. That figures. What was your favorite kind of garbage? Uh, I was recycling garbage before there was even the term recycling, ecology, environmentalists. Right. You were considered a junk man. I was attracted to that. People thought I had all the furniture upstairs and rearranged in the wrong rooms. I didn't just attract 
a few hundred pounds, tons. Right. And I stored it in the basement of my home, and I stored it in the front yard, and I stored it on the front sidewalk. Mm-hmm. And this is a blue-collar, working-class, Italian-Jewish neighborhood, one of the last that survived in Brooklyn. Property values were plummeting. Mm-hmm. Members of organized crime, the mobsters choking on their lobsters, were ready to burn down the house. And my mom and dad stood in solidarity and said to me, even though this is causing us a lot of chaos in the household, you, you do the heavy lifting and we'll support your effort. The moment right. you're a slacker or a deadbeat and all you do is talk and not do the, the hard work here, then we abandon ship. You and bring they, in the trash and we'll find a place to put it. And, and they did. So and this is what's so interesting about you. For those that don't know Curtis, and uh, you would be ignorant not to, YouTube him, Google him, Curtis Sliwa. Uh, you're considered a conservative fella, right? This is, this is sort of your politics. But these seem like very liberal ideas. You have you have parents who allow you to speak your mind, who uh, allow you to sleep with different kind of gloves. Yes. Yeah. Softball yes, gloves. Yes. And then, of course, you uh, you enjoyed recycling before recycling was unbelievably cool and, dare, dare I say, a little bit cliche and uh, passe at this point. What was it in your life that uh, sort of made you change change over to uh, more of a conservative well, political dad, idea? Well, my dad, hardcore Democrat, has never voted for a Republican in his life, did not cross over for Reagan, did not cross over even for my very dear kumbadichich, Rudy Whoa, Giuliani. Well, your father is the only man in America who voted for Walter Mondale? Yes. Holy Jesus! He <laughs> wouldn't vote for a Republican if there was only a Republican on the ticket. In fact... When Bush 43 right. won the second time against Kerry, mm-hmm. he would not let me come over and visit my mom at the house in Canarsie because he thought my little bit on the radio was was the difference between Kerry being president and Bush. So I was persona non grata for the next month. Really? My mother, hardcore Democrat, she has pictures of naturally Jesus Christ up on the mantle in front of her bed. And then Barack Obama or whoever is president. So Jesus. she she will even put a Republican. When uh, Bush 43 was president, my dad would not sleep in that bed. He would sleep in a separate bed, like Dick Van Dyke series, you know, separate beds. He refused yeah. to sleep in the room where a Republican president's face was, including when Ronald Reagan was president. Yeah. That's hardcore. Is that it, not hardcore or what? Well, it's hardcore. I think your mother to is give up hardcore. the urge to merge because right. you wouldn't do it while a Republican president was looking at you. Well, I think that's why conservatives are always about abstinence, and I think they would have a very plausible idea if they just put pictures of Ronald Reagan and W and uh, and HW all over the rooms, uh, then no one would be having sex. I couldn't bang uh, my wife or my girlfriend if there was a picture of W. Bush hanging above the bed. I mean, this is it's satanic. Yeah. This, be, this is a great form of birth control. It is the yeah. best form of birth control. Just honestly, Old white Republican yeah. presidents on the wall, no one's banging. It's really any picture of any old person, I think. Doesn't have necessarily have to be a Republican. It just could, any yeah. old person. I'm just like I can't get into the mood. You know? Oh, absolutely. Oh, Gerald Ford. That's the classic one. Yeah. Gerald Ford. Yeah. If he's looking at you, forget about and it. And if you want to force the gal, if you already did get her pregnant, you want to force an abortion, uh, have her look at a picture of Strom Thurmond. <laughs> that uh, that would do it. <laughs> love love the old Strom. Yeah. So the parents great racist. gave me license right. to pursue my craziness and insanity, which was all for the the common good. Right. So my politics is... Well, you're common good. I'm conservative on law and order issues. Right. I'm very libertarian when it comes to uh, personal issues, mm-hmm. except when it call, calls to uh, whipping out that Dutch master's uh, little vanilla paper and rolling up a blunt for Obama. Then, you don't like that. Oh, I want to smack you so hard your mother will feel the vibrations. <laughs> yeah, well, when, you, when you're smoking your blunts for Obama, I literally want to just tear your larynx out so that when you get shotgunned, what? it only goes through your nasal cavities. It'll never make it through your vocal system.
I'm just going to say it right now. Blunts for Obama is the greatest social program that's ever existed, and I would do it. Ben Kissel's new program, Blunts for Obama. Send me your weed. I'll roll it up into a blunt and send it right back to you. Now, did you it's see, like Netflix. Did but, you uh, see that weed. ridiculous press conference recently by the police commissioner, Bill Bratton, who only knows how to belly up to the bar and bend his elbow? He's never yes. smoked a joint in his life. He claimed out of an ounce... You could roll 60 joints. Now, what were those, toothpick joints? Pinners, yeah, little pinner there joints. There's no freaking way. 20, 24, 25. This guy is mashug, is bots, is titched, and yet he goes up there and makes a complete fool out of himself. That's why I'm saying, listen to Curtis Sliwa, who's got boots on the ground. Ixnay on the spliffs. Ixnay on Peter Tosh and Bob Marley. And oh, my God. Sm- and joining the Rastafari, right, and claiming it's your religious pursuit. Oh, leave the Rastafari alone. Weed is good. Weed is better than alcohol. You're People nothing lose- but a blood clot, man. <laughs> well, I was cancer, not a blood clot. I have blood clot, so, you know, that's my connection there. Um, but, you know, you're basically, you're a community organizer. Yes, and before, you run a, and you before run a, Barack was. Before Barack, right. and you run a nonprofit. What's the difference between you and Al Sharpton? Oh, Al Slim Shady Sharpton. That's Why right. do you think? He's slim, like a bobblehead you're doll now. You're skinny now, too. You reach that old man skinny. Everyone's fat. From 30 to 50, everyone's fat. I saw pictures of you. That's you, were, true. you were obese. Uh, I was a, a Pillsbury uh, popping fresh dough boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Now you're old man. Yeah, but I don't, I don't have that. You see, he's gone too far to the yeah. extreme. He's got the chicken warble skin, you know, that hangs off your rack. Right, right. It doesn't matter. You know, you could eat fish. You can abstain. You could have air sandwiches on sweet and Kool-Aid. It's too much, Al. It's too. You, you look sickly now. And Unsweetened Kool Aid. Yes. <laughs> Unsweetened Kool Aid. I've well, never heard of such well, a thing. Well, sweetened Kool Aid. You're going to pack on the pounds. The Jello Pudding Popeye Fives. Right. What is it about Al Sharpton's politics that well, you would look, define? What is the polar opposite between you and Al? Uh, Al Slum Shady Sharpton follows the green in between. It's all about what? What's that? His program on MSNBC is called Shakedown America. Because Something like that. <laughs> that's what he loves to do. And his professor, the guy who actually taught him and gave him his PhD in the subject, was Jesse Jackson, who told him, right. "Look, there's a whole world out there that needs civil rights insurance. All state sure. doesn't provide it. Uh, you know, the the little green uh, monster that rolls around doesn't provide it." We got to provide civil rights insurance because when Fortune 500 companies have issues uh, involving either gender or race, mm-hmm. we can give them a parchment uh, that is that, that will prevent them from being sued, picketed. It's like what the mob used to do in order to prevent you from having any union problems. And that's right. what he's proficiently of, done. You're talking about the economy of civil rights. The National Action Hate Network will sell you civil rights insurance, and it right. will guarantee you will never have any further problems amongst your ranks. And they deliver, and that's how he rolls in dough. Yet he owes $4 million bucks to the IRS. I yeah. owe 25000 freaking dollars. <laughs> they are like hemorrhoids all over me. I put Preparation H all over the IRS agent. He, no, it's not enough. He wants yeah. more today. He wants to come in. He wants to know the gross. He wants to know the net. He wants to come in. He wants to take everything. 25 Gs. And for Sharpton, I mean, they don't even spending- take his the, the belly button lint. They'll stop spending money on Preparation H and just give him the cash. That's because <laughs> like his you're, complexion you're is thing. his protection. That's you what it so? is. Oh, absolutely. Guardian his complexion Angels. is his protection. Let's talk. Let's go back to the Guardian Angel. Started in the 1970, I believe. It was the, originally the Magnific- uh, Magnificent 13. Uh, why did this group come about? Uh, at that time, we were living in the slime and grime of the 70s. Who was the mayor in the, uh, in the early 70s there? Uh, person of no consequence, Abe Beam. 
A-beam? A-beam. You would put them Sounds on... Sounds like a liquor. Uh, you put them on <laughs> 10 uh, telephone books, and you still couldn't see the guy. Okay. His answer to the fiscal malaise we were in, because we were on the brink of bankruptcy, the most powerful economic engine of the world, right. New York City, 1976. His answer to all New Yorkers was, why don't you do what I do? Brown bag Velveeta cheese sandwiches, you badger. Something you would do in Wisconsin, eat I Velveeta actually, yeah. cheese sandwiches. No, Velveeta, that, that's a that's a four-letter word in Wisconsin. Velveeta's not allowed in the, in the goddamn state. We have good cheese. Yeah, so the the rest of us schmucks and putzes right. eat that and thinks that's it's right. real cheese. But that was his answer to dealing with the fiscal malaise. And what happened was they laid off cops. They laid off firefighters, teachers, social workers. It was total chaos. Right. And the thugs who loved to thug up now had a license to steal. I was a night manager of Mickey D's in the Bronx at the time, and I brainwashed my closing crew to come out and patrol the trains with me at night. And uh, we went out there and started thumping thugs when nobody I mean, this, else did. To me, it seems like it, it almost, it's, it's a movie. I mean, this is like a, what is it, the movie Super 8. Where, yeah. the, where the kids all get together and they and they have an idea to go out in the middle of the night and, and stop crime, find the alien, find a ghost, whatever it might be. I mean, this idea is completely, um, it's insane. It's an insane idea. Actually, I and, was uh, thinking but, The Magnificent Seven, you know, Charles Bronson. Right, right. You know, Mr. Death Wish there with Yul Brynner, right? Right. Uh, all I mean, those this, movies have a, the same theme. It yes. is, it, it's a Spielberg idea. I mean, do you think it was... Uh, no. Was there some ignorance of you? Let me there? tell you what the problem was. In 79, five days before I launched the first official subway patrol, yeah. uh, Paramount Films came out with a cult classic movie, The Warriors. Okay. Of course, yeah. Warriors come out and play. So who do you think... Which, by the way, if you watch that movie now, it does look like just a couple of gay gangs fighting each other. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> there's are. no doubt. <laughs> they, are, they are light loafer gangs. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. But... <laughs> At that time, there already were enough youth gangs plaguing right. the subway system and the streets. So give, us a, give us a vibe of that. Was, what was, I get on the subway. I just took the A train here. I got the Express from Brooklyn. I was in Clinton Hill. What would my, what would my ride be like in 1976, 1979 compared to what it is like now? Uh, first off, Badger. A uh, hipster, you you like- migrant who have invaded my city, who have invaded Brooklyn. Get out of my life. I want my city. I want my Brooklyn back. But anyway, uh, there was no such thing as Clinton Hill back then. I don't think that you do want your city back because when your city was the way that you wanted your city to be, you patrolled the streets to stop it. Yeah, but remember, <laughs> the hoods that I so lusted for because there I could thumb thugs. Brownsville never ran, never will. Uh, home of Mike Tyson, Riddick Bowe, right? The Meshuggah, heavyweight champions of the world. Bed-Stuy, do or die, Bed-Stuy. Now it's mighty whitey Bed-Stuy. Where have all the black people gone? You're chasing out the heart and soul uh-huh. of New York City and Brooklyn. But anyway, there was no Clinton Hill. I mean, I don't know. Okay, so let's, I just, again, I think the irony is that you you had to go out and patrol the streets with McDonald's employees yes. to beat up people who were beating up other people on the subway. Burger Boys. We were the, the Burger the Boys Burger back Boys, then. Right. Wasn't, that, wasn't that kind of the charm of the city, that like if you went outside the city and you told someone you were from New York City, they wouldn't want to mess with you because they I just thought the, you were tough, idea, right? The whole idea to me is total bullshit. This whole notion that somehow New York was better in the 70s because everyone was getting hurt and robbed and they made it more authentic is bullshit. I'm an authentic person. Hold on. I live in an authentic life. Hold on. Let me, let me give you a, a bit of the, the flavor. And by the way, your father is an implant. Uh, let me give you a bit of the flavor while you were looking at the assembly line of the American Motors uh, Company uh, factory there in uh, Apple uh, Apple Creek, uh, whatever, uh, uh, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. <laughs> let me tell you something. 
imagine this, Uzi-toting, dope-sucking, psychopathic killing machines. Right. And then on corners in social clubs, you had the... Uh, you had the geriatric espresso sipping psychotic killers of organized crime. I mean, the mixing of ammonia and bleach. If you went in one direction, you got mugged. You got ripped off. Right. They, I fornicate you. There was no escape. And then members of organized crime were in there to charge you a vig. So you got white collar. You got blue collar. You got right. no collar. Now, look at what you've turned this into. Leave it to Beaverland, Father Knows Best, Little House on the Prairie. You well, hipsters, we need to give you guys a colonic. The hipster thing is done. Uh, I will say I can't wait for the, <laughs> I can't wait for the new uh, Apple iFornicate to come out, though. That is going to be one of the best phones around. Could you go back to the heartland of America and become emos? It's cold. And, you know, deal with your I'm daddy issues. Oh, well, I have major father issues. Yeah, but that's see, for a whole other thing. your daddy This issues. is what I'm saying. I work with Curtis on a daily basis, and I get this. Every, I told him before. I was like, I'm wearing velour sweatpants. Yeah, you right look now. like an Italian. I'm uh, not a hipster. Uh, prince, you look like an Italian <laughs> god right now. For but Christ's just, sake, it, it, why it, don't it, you put your flannels around your waist so no, you can? I don't really even wear be Anyone under forty is a hipster to Curtis. <laughs> Anyone under forty. I'd love to shine That's my true. Steve Madden boots on your tuchus. <laughs> Jesus Christ, <laughs> Grandpa Tuchus, what's wrong with you? Uh, but no, so it was dangerous there. So yeah. you took it upon yourself to go and clean up the streets and do it. Were were you? Well. Uh, a little uniquely because we don't carry weapons. Right. And you know in America, bad guys carry big weapons and good guys get a license to carry even bigger weapons. Right. So here it is. I'm in the middle of the South Bronx and I said, but we're not going to carry any weapons. People say, oh, come on. You're going to be carrying weapons. Don't lie to us. Right. And cops immediately, you talk about stop and frisk. I got stopped and frisked. More than 76 times, I ended up going to the Who Scout. I got wooden shampoos. I got concrete facials because the cops thought we were the Hells Angels, not the Guardian Angels, that we were vigilantes and that we were going to take the law into our own hands. None of which we did. Right. But it took 13 years for them to finally say, hey, you know, we had it all wrong about you. Well, Curtis, cops, Curtis so wait, can, can you explain what a wooden shampoo is to people who are... Under 30 oh, yeah. might well, when know. Officer Joe Bolton is walking around and playing, you know, with his baton and, yeah. or his hidden blackjack uh, or <laughs> his, right. his lead-lined, uh, let's say, device that extricates information, uh, I would literally get hit upon arrest. They would they hit me in the kidneys so that when you squatted down on the porcelain palace and you yelled Geronimo, nothing came out for a month right. of Sundays. So pain... You, you had to be pain compliant, and right. th that was just the way it was back then. You couldn't complain. You just had to take your beating and come back uh, ticking uh, and expect another licking. What about, uh, so you have groups like this. I mean, there's a very interesting time. You had the 70s. Uh, there was multiple groups that had, uh, the New Ricans had their group. Of course, the Black Panthers. You have someone like Huey New uh, Newton, uh, Huey P. Newton, and uh, Bobby Seale. I mean, all these groups were starting to come up at the same time. Right, but. They all had a political agenda. But what was your political agenda? None. You see, we were apolitical because we represented blacks, Hispanics. In fact, most people to this day, 35 years later, think I'm Puerto Rican. Right. They have no idea that I grew up eating kielbasa and pierogies on one side and spaghetti and meatballs on the other. So if I tell them to this day, Puerto Ricans, no, 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 I'm part Polish, part Italian. No, you're not. Yo, Boricua. Because I was surrounded by Puerto Ricans and blacks in right. the Bronx, so the perception was, well, he must be Puerto Rican too. 
And we also had Asians, and we had males and females, and they were doing it for no money, with no political agenda. It seemed like it was too good to be true because everyone was assuming there had to be some kind of hidden agenda or overall political ideology that was guiding you. And it was really none. It was, it was talking about self-help. You got a problem. Right. It's mostly teenagers who are creating it because they're the gangbangers. They're the cretins with chromosome damage. They're the ones going around and just... Oh, just kids, yeah. Yeah, yeah, kids. <laughs> yeah, as they slit your throat. <laughs> right, right, right. But yeah. the point was they were ruining the quality of life. And I felt, well, I'm hiring teenagers to run the McDonald's. Without right. them, there are no burgers, fries, strawberry shakes. So why not just reverse osmosis and get them involved in doing something positive? It was all common sense. Didn't yeah. want any interference from government. Didn't want any help from government. They became a tremendous hindrance. The kids in the group, the teenagers in the group. Oh, well, they themselves were thugs and thugettes because I hired them specifically for that McDonald's so that so we would cover each other's back at night when right. all of a sudden there'd be robberies, there'd be thuggery, there'd right. be gangs coming in, busting up. So if I'm a- on the subway and I see the guardian angels coming through, am I scared? Initially, yes. Yeah. Initially. Now, not so much because there are quite a few people, 35-plus, who have an idea of what's going on. If you happen to be on, uh, let's say, DeKalb Avenue, Bedford Avenue, Lorimer, and all of a sudden you see a bunch of predominantly black and Hispanic guys coming through with red berets, you think it's some kind of fashion statement off the runways of Milan or (laughs) Paris, right? Uh, But back then, yeah, it was pretty frightening because your perception was it's another gang. Right. It's I mean, another but it was gang. another gang, right? It was a good gang. It, I mean, but, and continues to be a good gang. But don't most gangs think that they're doing good? Well, Every most gangs, gang- the way they form is supposedly to help their own because mm-hmm. they're being oppressed. And this is what you were doing, too. But it wasn't just our own. You see, our right. own wasn't defined by color or language or, or neighborhood. It was a local effort that became global. We're now in 13 countries, 150 cities. Right. So the concept was always It was, it was easy for global. the French to adapt. Oh, uh, uh, very. <laughs> no, actually, the French, they like to talk about it while oh, they're smoking their cigarettes. Oh, yeah. Ange Gardien, Magnifique. Uh, We've never had a group start in France. Really? They still talk about it, even in Montreal. Oh, Magnifique. I said, how about we need a headquarters training space? We'll get to that momentarily. Right. Uh, next order here of the 10-course meal. They're just in it for the free berets. Oh, they love, Unbelievable. They love to talk about it. <laughs> but the, so the whole point was to uh, to bring law and order back to New York. And how has the group evolved? I mean, obviously, you got a lot of press in the uh, – you started, I think, in the early 80s. 79. 79, started, right. you got some press and uh, and everything like that. And the initial reaction was fear. And they, people were uh, were terrified of you. What did you guys do as an organization to change that perception? Because that's an un, not an easy thing to do, and it's very easy to uh, be scared of a group of individuals rolling around in berets, uh, telling everyone that they're there for uh, law and order. No know? one thing you can do. It's just if you're a student of history, time moves ever so slowly. Technology yeah. uh, can uh, jump in leaps and bounds, but history itself. The only way you can disprove your critics and naysayers is yep. if 13 years later you look at the track record and say, well, what have they done wrong? Six of them were shot and killed in the line of duty. 36 were seriously injured. The leader himself was shot up in the summer of 92. Yet they never reverted to picking up weapons, killing anybody, hurting anyone. And only up until recently, we had never been sued. Never had been sued in 35 mm-hmm. years of patrolling some of the roughest, toughest places where we oftentimes have to get very physical in order to get control of a situation. So you would go and you would be aggressive with people who were doing something that you thought were, well, was wrong. For instance, uh, Los Angeles, a lot of industrial clubs in Hollywood. 
they get out at like 2, 3 in the morning. But you right. have all different kind of groups mixing and matching. You know, you have the reggae groups. You have the uh, electronic dance music freaks. Yeah, which you love EDM, by Oh, the way, I love you? EDM. Yeah. But they don't love me because they say, you're 60. You're an old fart. You're like <laughs> yeah. Mr. Magoo. Leave us alone. I said, no, but it flows through my veins and arteries. Go right. drink Geritol. But then you have the rockabillies. You have all these people flooding into the streets, all kinds of fights, disorderly conduct. And then we have to get into the middle of it, break them up, get them to go all their separate ways, you know, some to South Central, some to Hood, some to the Valley, without there being any violence. And oftentimes, you got to absorb a lot of abuse. It starts with the verbal, then gets into the physical, and then the threats, the intimidation. Right. And you got to be cool, calm, and collected while everyone else is totally off the hook. Right. And no one asked you to do it. No. So you, this is you, all out of the passion of your own heart. So you're, you're, do you fancy yourself a superhero? Because now, I mean, now kids are actually, there's a guy in Seattle who's dressing up and getting his ass kicked regularly, <laughs> uh, dressing as a, uh, like a knockoff Batman, like a Batman toy you would get from the 99 cent store called like Guy with a Cape. That's his superpower, just getting beat up. Pretty taking much. Taking a beating. <laughs> it's gotten Pretty so much. bad that now the city council of New York is expecting me to get licensed like the freaks in Times Square, the comic book characters, really? yeah. the cartoon characters, the superheroes. Fat Spider-Man, yeah. Mexican Statue of Liberty. Right, yeah. right, right. Which I love. <laughs> That's my favorite thing, by the way. And I think it's the greatest um, uh, uh, um, analogy for what America really is. When you see an elderly Mexican gal dressed as the Statue of Liberty making cash. That's perfect. <laughs> Because uh, Mexicans are the backbone of this country right now. They're the new immigrants. They're the ones doing everything. And when you take a, when you see the person re- remove their Statue of Liberty mask and it's an elderly Mexican girl, um, I, I, I get, I'm happy. I'm filled with uh, Okay, Obama. With you made liberty. your political statement there. <laughs> I'm just saying. Illegals. Not okay. Obama. You know, forget it. <laughs> but anyway, the point I'm being, saying it's a fact. You show me a 60-year-old guy who's still running around with a red beret and a red sateen jacket as a self-proclaimed superhero and imagine, here it is, the city council, instead of feeling empathy and sympathy for me, they now want to tax me. They want to license me. They- I, might want, I, might, I think you need to be medicated. Well, that, well look. Yeah, <laughs> That's every, a different conversation. <laughs> completely. There's no doubt that right. I have anger management issues. Right, right. It's lucky that I don't take them out on society, that I just take yeah. them out on so precious fear. So, so the, one, the major difference between the Guardian Angels and the Black Panthers, for example, yeah. is that you were more inclusive. Oh, completely inclusive, and whereas the Black Panthers had an agenda, they included weapons, right? and eventually their leadership, as you mentioned, Bobby Seale, Huey Newton, drugs, uh, and naturally always creating, it was a negative. It was them against us. Woe is us. We're never going to get jobs. We're never going to get ahead. We're going to look at prison. You know, we're being targeted because of the complexion of our skin. Ours is of a different attitude. Ours is to say, hey, look, this is the first day of your life. You may have been locked up. You may have been uh, right. an enemy of society. You have a chance to turn it all around by getting involved with the Guardian Angels and basically turning over that, that new leaf. Whereas the Black Panthers were really never into positive stuff. It was always like uh, well, they were there for the perpetuating the negative. Well, I mean, uh, my understanding is that they were there because they were being over-policed and they were being over-prosecuted and uh, you know, no one was making any— um there weren't getting any headway in the, uh, in, uh, well, in the also, media or also what, they, they were just uh, kind of forgotten about. And- the most famous uh, instance of their protest was when they showed up outside of the governor's mansion in Sacramento after Ronald Reagan, uh, man actor, without the chimp, right, right. Uh, had been oh, elected. Had been oh, elected what governor. Is it, what is it? Uh, Bobo goes to Bonzo yeah, or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, Bonzo, Bonzo. Bonzo right. goes Bonzo to college, Baghdad college, like, right? You know, right? Something like that. But anyway, so he's, he's newly elected, and the Black Panthers from Oakland, 
uh, West Oakland show up, and they have unloaded shotguns, and they're parading around the governor's mansion in Sacramento, which sure. was legal in California, as long as right. you didn't carry a loaded shotgun. It sounds like a Tea Party rally to me, although nowadays the guns are loaded. Exactly. Yeah. Right. You see? And they, there is that synergy there, because right. they both believe in the Second Amendment rights of Damn Americans to have there guns. There are no two greater—it's like when liberals and libertarians all agree on, uh, I, I don't know, uh, wars. Well, you know, you I, know, I can boil it down to this. It's—what's uh, his? Uh, ice cube, iced tea, vanilla ice, I You're whatever. just making a drink. Iced tea, right? Yeah. Who hates cops, right? Wanted to put him in body bags, yet plays a cop on TV, Law & Order. He's missed the Second Amendment. But he defends his right to carry a loaded weapon right. to shoot police. He tells you, oh, yeah, to defend myself from police. And others will say, oh, no, it's to prevent Ferguson from happening in our community, our hood. Yet two of these folks who were so inalienably opposed to almost everything right. are Second Amendment freaks That's right. who feel like they have to have howitzers in the basement of their homes to protect what it is they view their rights to be right. in America. All right, so let's go back to Sacramento. So yeah. the Black Panthers, they're marching around with unloaded shotguns. So now here's Ronnie being told by Nancy, you're going to let that happen? And Ronald Reagan said, well, let me ask my advisors, my consiglieri. So he goes to Bozo or Bonzo. Right, and his consiglieri say, yeah, it's the law. So then they went about naturally unscripting that law to make it so that the Panthers and anyone else couldn't just be walking around with unloaded shotguns. But the Panthers were making the case that because they were being oppressed by the police, right. they needed the shotguns to fight the police, which right. then led to executions of police, and you know the rest of the story. Pigs, right. the whole nine yards. And then a political ideology that at times almost verged on them being Maoists. I, I, they had the little red books in right. their hands for a time. And they didn't even understand. How could you understand? It's in Mandarin. It's in Cantonese. You know, which column do you order from? I mean, how the <laughs> hell could right, you read right. that little red book from Mao? Yeah, next thing you know, you just have a General Tso's chicken showing up at your door. And exactly. And you use the Chinese menu the whole time. <laughs> um, but, uh, I mean, it's just interesting because I feel like it's you're, you're very liberal in a lot of ways. I mean, this whole thing. I, are, are you, I mean... It seems like uh, community organizing in these sort of like getting groups of people together, just normal civilians, and trumping the government, not respecting um, the, uh, you know, the authority of, of law enforcement and things like that. It seems like you could be considered more left than right. And what are your stances on – first of all, there's two different things going on. A, a, a conservative in the, in the Northeast is different than a conservative in Alabama. Sure. You know, I mean, I mean – and I almost feel like your policies – in Alabama would be considered liberal. Oh, no doubt, particularly the social policies. Right. So what kind of, I mean, so how do you thread that line? Well, you see, I'm not a Republican. Uh, I could never be a Republican. I'm an independent because uh, of right. what most Americans are now becoming, free agents. But the reason you notice that there is less participation in the electoral process, not just in midterms or presidential right. elections, but all elections, is because as an independent, nobody ever talks to you. You see, if you are hardcore apparatchik, Democratic, liberal, progressive, or Republican, right. conservative, libertarian, they're bombing you with all kinds of mailings. You're getting robocalls. You're saying, enough, stop, leave me alone. Yeah, yeah, Meantime, yeah. when you're an independent, please spend a little time, talk to me. I feel so lonely yeah, yeah, yeah. out here. See, that's the problem in America. Most Americans are now being becoming very independent. They're free agents. They want to hear all the arguments, and that's the way I was brought up. Right. Listen to all the arguments and then assess and make your judgment based on that. Unfortunately, the hardcore apparatchiks, they don't let anyone else speak. That's why when I do my radio show right. uh, with Ron Kuby, whose mommy is a commie, uh, you get to hear both <laughs> sides. I mean, you get to hear both sides, and you get to hear callers actually 
They're able to express themselves, whereas most other talk shows I hear, they pontificate, you know, it's uh, turkey and mash at the diner day in, day out, and they, they never let another opinion in edgewise. Yeah. I love to hear other opinions, even those that are kukulamunga, so I get a good belly laugh. Yeah. I will say your beret is like a, a crescent and, what is it, a, a crescent and, uh, what's the name of the knife thing there? You know what I'm saying? Oh, the Soviet. Yeah, um, whatever. Or the, not oh, no, no, the, har- uh, the hammer and sickle. Yeah, yeah, the hammer and sickle. Oh, yeah, that's that's hammer and sickle away. Right, right, right. Yeah. I'm getting terrified but over here. But you see, you can't really define a Curtis Sliwa because I grew up in which you had to absorb everything, process it. Right. And then determine where it is you were going to take a stand, what you were going to take do a stand on, what you are less? Do you think people are less... Um, uh, willing to understand a different side now because of the social media. I think it's one of the ironies of uh, you know the, of technology. People just kind of go to their MSNBCs and go to their Fox News. It's most people don't even go to that. They go to whatever blog blogger they like. They go to the salon or they go to Drudge. Do what? you think that people are less uh, able to accept different ideas? It's now? like if you have the wherewithal to go to restaurants. Because I truly believe if God had intended men to cook, he wouldn't have uh, created takeout food in restaurants. Yeah, and of course God created that. Right, so, of course. <laughs> you know, whether it was on the eighth day when God was tired and ordered his. Right, whether it's JC, <laughs> yeah. and then you may want insurance in case right. there was no JC, Hashem, Allah, mm-hmm. whatever, Buddha. But the point being is there's some people, they love to explore restaurants. They never want to go to the same restaurant twice. Right. There are others that go to the same freaking restaurant. Every day. The maitre d' already calls in the order. They see him walking through the door. The waiter knows already. Uh, Why would you want to live your life like that? The same thing, day in, day out, the same routine. And they'll listen to the radio. And the person, oh, the Constitution! And they're like, oh, they're they're having orgasm. They're saying, oh, forget sex tonight. This is better than that. Oh, it's the other side. Oh, yeah, those evil capitalists, you know, the the, the downfall. And you say to yourself, can can either of those things be as true and as extreme as they paint it out to be? Or do most Americans and most people in the world basically... Listen to a particular subject and then try to come to their own determination. But how is your voice going to be heard when everyone else is shouting and screaming and accusing you of being something that you're really not? So you'd rather not have a conversation about it and then you just schlub away. You become a schlub when it comes to those kind of subject matters. Yeah, or that do the, the Kissel be... Sliwa method, just shout louder. <laughs> oh, yeah, and that's what I'm real good at doing. That's right. I was just going to say that that does seem to be the trend, that it's like if, if you are moderate and you're an independent and you just want to hear all sides, you kind of shut up and you and you listen. But if you are uh, really um, uh, loyal to the left or the right in a, a radical way, you are very adamant about yelling your point at people. And it's just like you, you're well, so Well, you also get a lot of money with it, too. I yeah. mean, this is people who make their entire careers off of it. It's a whole economy, you know, the politics of, uh, you know, of being left or right. It's massive money. But it's it also, also for branding. doesn't you know? require you to think. Right. Because it's a knee-jerk reaction. Wait a second. Curtis Sliwa is for that? Then I must be against that. Right. You know, or vice versa. Right. It's like without saying, well, wait a second, maybe there is some common ground here. Maybe Curtis Lee will finally, for the first time in his life, is making some sense. Wow, he actually made a poignant a statement here, something that I can identify with. They don't listen. 
They're right. too busy freaking waiting for their time to talk. I've been on all these talking head shows. It's like Hollywood Squares, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They all read from the same talking points. They don't even listen to you when you're talking. They're too busy formulating in the mind what right. it is I'm going to say. And they say the same freaking thing. If they would only listen to what the person before them said, they would realize, gee, that's a Xerox copy of what they just said. Right. Could I try to be a little more creative? Could I use uh, theater of the mind? Can I sort of paint pictures? God forbid you entertain. Oh, there's no room for entertainment. It's fire and brimstone. What? Right. You laughed? You actually consider that to be funny? There is no humor in politics. Of course, and Republicans and Democrats could flip the script and regurgitate the exact same thing the other person said in a, in a moment's notice. I mean, this is their profession. This is their job. Uh, let's go to Ferguson. You mentioned it earlier. Would the Guardian Angels uh, be able to do some good work over there? No. And I tell you what, I've spent a lot of time. I actually had, believe it or not, and this is what I've been miserable at, I had a honeymoon in a housing project in North St. Louis, the Vaughn Housing Project, with my second wife, Lisa. What a lucky lady she was. Who wore the 13-inch combat boots. And let me tell you something, uh, she could throw a spinning hook kick that would knock your head across the Mississippi River. Yeah. St. Louis and the surrounding areas has one thing in common. White people and black people are all freaking dysfunctional. It is the most dysfunctional group of people I have ever come across, white and black. Why? And all you had to do is look at all those interviews that were done about Ferguson from the pro or the con. Listen to these people. They make no sense. They basically salivate. They, They are all over the map. I'm telling you, that part of the country, the heartland. Yeah. Next to the ugliest, have you ever been there? The ugliest uh, my part girlfriend's from there. I've of the M I S S I S S I S S I S S I P P I. It's brown. It's ugly. The river there it ain't like it is up in Minnesota or even down near New Orleans. I think that all contributes to that. And the fact and that the golden arches right. hangs over it. I mean, I spent half my life at Mickey D's. You mm-hmm. know what it's like to see run after run a Max Fries and Strawberry Shakes come up? You don't think that it has a paralyzing effect on your ability to think? I think it does. Uh, the whole point of this episode has actually been able to... Uh, the whole point was to see if you could spell Mississippi. Um, and you did. So I think we're done. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, it's all been a ruse to see if Curtis Slewa could spell Mississippi. But, but think of Nailed it. Nailed it. What a, uh, how, I agree. How does this make St. sense? Louis, St. Louis is I, I'm going to burn state. my town down. Right. Okay. But the how does that the make any sense? It doesn't make any sense. It's absolutely ludicrous, and that plays into the right's narrative that they're all a bunch of lunatics. And then, of course, the left uh, you know, gets to uh, claim racism. And, and look and, at that police chief in Ferguson. I mean, you know. Is not- that not a fuddy-duddy? He's a fuddy-duddy. Okay. What, what happened to you? A fuddy-duddy. Did your diapers changed? What happened? You're 85 well, years old? Well, I'm close to depends. Please, Jesus. let's not get too he's personal. A, I, I never, he's a fuddy-duddy. Right, I've had prostate cancer removal, and the guy is immediately attacking me for wearing Jesus diapers. Jesus Christ. Yeah, you know, well, I'm just saying. You young whippersnappers, show some respect <laughs> for the elderly here. I'm Curtis, AARP, by Curtis God. sitting there watching the riots in Ferguson and be like, well, look at those fuddy-duddies. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Whatever, Curtis. Funny, nutty. Wait, what do you think about Darren Wilson? Okay, let's go on two different sides. Michael Brown, fat mm. kid, six foot four, 
did what I used to do constantly. Uh, he, he's a thief. I was a thief as well. I stole thousands of dollars worth of cigarettes. I was on Crime Stoppers. Oh wow! Um, yeah, it was a very is that true? Yeah, oh, it was one of my crowning achievements. Oh. Obviously, I can't tell anybody. <laughs> That's you know? your first credit, then. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't <laughs> tell him that you were on local news because he would have yeah, gotten you, arrested. Uh, did you hustle those Marlboro man? Those uh, Lucky Strike. We strike used pack? to go. Oh my God! Me and my friend Jared. This was when tobacco, cigarettes, and chewing tobacco was still on the outside of yeah, the uh, ca- yeah. uh, of the register, yeah. and they just had a whole aisle of it. That wasn't. It was out of eyesight. So we would go and we would just i mean we were just loot to the whole thing and we'd sell them back to our uh friends in high school although mostly i think i just smoked them it, um, is, there, is, is there a period, like five-year statute of limitation oh that's right too this, bad this is 15 to make years a citizen's ago. Oh arrest here Even oh this more. should be high profile hey this is yeah. america's most wanted right ben kissel gets <laughs> arrested Walsh. on his own show cnn yeah uh, well i'm sorry I, I would frame it as if i was saving a youth from cigarettes. That's what I was doing. I was clearing the shelves of tobacco so no one could buy it. I'm, I'm, I'm helping people avoid cancer. <laughs> That's what I would say. Uh, what are your thoughts on Michael Brown, and what are your thoughts on Darren Wilson? Well, both have had incredible spins. Remember, Michael Brown, when he was first shot and killed, we right. thought, oh, what a huggy bear. Look at this guy. He's on his way to college, you know, Phi Beta Kappa instead of uh, uh, Magna Cum Laude, you know, with right. a 357 Magnum. The guy is thuggish. There's no doubt about it. Now, should he have been killed for, for stealing Phillies? No. Right. But he certainly had what in, in his mind, heart, and soul you knew is that potential to just be off the hook. Now, the police officer, the problem for the community is when he was being interviewed by, uh, who's that, Twinkle Toes, Stephanopoulos? Mm-hmm. Uh, he came across like, oh, wow, look, blonde hair, blue-eyed, sedate, quiet. He didn't look like Gigantor. He didn't look like he was roided up, even though we know he's a big cop. Right. So he came across very dulcet, soft tones. And so you look at him and you say, man, he doesn't sound like somebody who would have an anger management issue, but... He might well have, particularly right. after you've been sucker punched and jacked twice while you're in your patrol car. You don't think he got out of that car and said, man, you're going to eat some lead right here. What do you think about that? I mean, it happened. there was a kid in the, in the uh, stairwell that happened last week as well. A guy walked out of his seventh floor apartment, uh, you know, went down to the stairwell. An officer, I think his last name was Liang, shot and killed him because he was nervous doing one of these vertical patrols where they basically just like rats uh, run up and down the buildings looking for trouble. Well, let, me, well, I, let me tell you about the verticals because I've lived doing verticals in the public housing project. That housing project, I grew up a few blocks away. They call it the pink houses. It's the stink houses because in the stairwells and in the foyer, people defecate, they urinate, and it stinks. And you know who was born and raised there? Oh, man, this is going to blow your mind. Blank Fine, who is the CEO of Goldmine Sachs. Lloyd Blankfein, really one of the wealthiest shot callers in the world, grew up in that public housing project. It wasn't always a bad public housing project. Well, I mean, so there's a chance that he could have been walking down uh, the seventh floor no and got shot by an officer. And, and the problem is they claim, oh, you had two rookie cops. They, that, those are the only cops you're going to get to do verticals. You think some fat right. cop who's uh, busting his shoes and pounding donuts from Dunkin' Donuts is going to be walking up 18 flights of stairs in a stairwell. No, they leave it to the rookies. Yeah, they eat their way out of it. And (laughs) this particular young cop, although he wasn't a rookie, 18 months in East New York, that's like a lifetime of being a cop. Sure. He just, uh, he overreacted. I mean, this was crazy. This you was a that, bad shooting. You have that, and then, of course, you have uh, the uh, the chokehold. You have Eric, Eric Garner, Garner right. who is chokeholded and, and, and killed. I, I don't know why cops don't re- recognize when they're being on uh, camera. Well, you know, this little guy jumps on his back like he's a, a pro wrestler or a luchador or something. He ends up dying. And then you got this well, Michael fact, Brown. It, that, that reminded me, if you remember, uh, there used to be those great wrestling matches in the old WWF of Vince McMahon Jr., 
Which, Andre by the did, way, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. 1986, Curtis Lewa himself trained to be a pro wrestler. No, no, that actually was Lisa Sliwa. She was. That was Lisa. Yeah, yeah. She was. Uh, well, she trained with the fabulous Moolah. No in shit. In Columbia, huh? South Carolina. Wow. Uh, problem was, she didn't have enough meat on her rack. So when she got body slammed a few times, she came back say, you know, I'm good with the spinning hook kicks, but not the body slam. Oh, I see. Okay. I just watch wrestling. Andre the Giant, yes. remember, there'd be like four of those cops, you know, surrounding him, trying to take him down like right. Lilliputians. That was a chokeout. That was so totally unnecessary. But most times when cops are struggling with suspects, you might have to choke them out if all of a sudden you're losing control of the situation and now the suspect is going for the gun. So you can never say you can never choke somebody out. I've been choked out and I've choked people out. So now the police right. commissioner says, uh, we want to train them in the old sleeper hold. Remember when the wrestler would put the yeah, sleeper yeah, hold yeah. on and they would raise their hand Sergeant up Slaughter, and they, right, I believe, yeah. they would, against the Iron Sheik, you yeah. know, and if it hit three times. This may, there's no common sense to what many of these police officials and so-called community activists are saying because they don't have the street smarts. I've been out in the streets. I've given beatdowns and I've taken beatdowns, so I know those gray areas and what's involved in surviving to come back another day. Yeah. Um, what was one of the best beatdowns you've ever taken? What was one of the times where you were just beaten the most? One of, one of the times where you woke up uh, in the hospital or at home, wherever you were, and you were just like, I'm not going back outside oh, again. Oh, man, it was, uh, I was going to St. Matthew's Elementary School. The uh, Irish Christian nuns were teaching me at that time in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, and they were brainwashing me into saying that St. <laughs> Brendan the Navigator discovered the new world. No, really? no, no, Sister Ruth, it was Columbus. Write down Columbus and you'll fail. It was St. Brendan the Navigator. So that was already enough Michigan. I don't think it was Columbus either. So all of a sudden, I get out of school, 2.45 in the afternoon. How old were you? Uh, I was approximately seven years old. Okay. Uh, at 2.30, the public school down the block on Schenectady Avenue gets out, all the black kids. And guess where they showed up at 2.43? Outside of the gates of the Catholic school because to them, they saw an ATM machine, right? right. And they had all the pin numbers on their knuckles. And I was, <laughs> I was one of the few white kids left in that neighborhood. So feet don't fail me now. Right. I used to have to use evasive tactics. I used to have to run the gauntlet. And one day they caught me about a block away from that Schenectady Avenue school, and they were hitting me with everything, chairs. I mean, they were finding stuff to hit me with, and I was on the ground. And then these two Booker boys come up. Booker boys. What's a Booker boy? Uh, they're Orthodox Jews, you know, uh. who were busy studying Talmud and Torah, and they couldn't fight their way out of a wet paper bag. All of a sudden, they jump in. They go back to back. They took the beat down for me. God bless Hashem. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. a Gentile, right? God bless Hashem. Seems like a nice guy. That was as close as I got in a beat down to having the life crushed out of me. Although John yeah. Gotti Jr. went on record as saying, I want Curtis Sleewitt to feel me. I want him to feel my hands around his throat. Right. I want him to be one breath away from being room temperature. And yeah. he almost achieved that. He almost achieved that. Uh, so you've pissed off a lot of people. Hey, I pissed, pissed off, off my wives, my many you know, wives. Your wives. That's hate the worst, you. yeah. Good God. But it seems like they're getting their revenge financially, and that's why I'm never getting married. But they never that's have the a slow nice burn. thing. That's right. Please follow. I'm never do not make married. the mistakes that I've made. I won't. I won't. <laughs> and no, what did you do to piss off the mob? 
The mob. Oh, I would use the bully pulpit of WABC radio, uh, the microphone, the number one news talk station in the nation. I did mob talk when John Gotti Sr. was on trial. You know how I remember OJ yeah. was on trial right. and everybody wanted to talk about what happened in the uh, courtroom of Judge Ito and the uh, dancing uh, minuets the day the before? dancing Ito. I, I've said it a thousand times and I'll say it again. That was the most offensive thing that's ever happened on uh, late night television and dare I say television <laughs> in general was the dancing Ito's that that fat schmuck, big chin, Carlo. <laughs> And Jay Leno did. That was awful. It was anyway, offensive. The Two point is, everybody couldn't wait to talk about it the right. next day. When it came to describing what had occurred in the courtroom in the Eastern District of downtown Brooklyn in the federal courthouse in the trial of John Gotti Sr., all you heard were collected. All oh, the big talk show hosts. I miss. They were kissing Stern. his ass. Oh, oh, I don't want to talk about organized crime. You know what's going to happen if you talk about organized crime. John Gotti Sr., a good man, a fine man, a great father, a great man. And I say, this is u disgrazia. And I said, this guy is a u schivosa, a sfacim. Yeah. And he is. And I would describe <laughs> all the terrorism that he and his uh, knuckle draggers and jadrules committed because I grew up with them. And then one day I described how his son, John Gotti Jr., had gutted out this guy named Silva on the dance floor of the Silver Fox uh, gin mill in Ozone Park over a drug deal gone bad. Okay. And I gave all the dates, times, and places, and the cops who didn't do the job and following it up. And guess who was listening at that time as he listened every morning before he got dressed in his Armani suit and they took him into the federal courthouse for his trial? The Jewish kid who helped you out when you were seven? No. No. <laughs> Although he was... Not John Gotti Sr., but John Gotti Jr. is Jewish because his mother, Victoria Sr., is Jewish. And if you're born of a Jewish mother, you're Jewish. You're but the anyway, luckiest guy around. John Gotti Sr. would listen every morning and drop right. the F-bomb on me. So he summons John Gotti Jr. in. He says, he just dropped time on you. The feds are going to be all over you. You tool this guy up. I never want to hear this guy talk about us, you, the family again. And so the first attack was with, with, with baseball bats. I was living down in the alphabet jungle at the time. Now this is the early 90s. Yeah, now it's the hipster jungle. It was right. uh, June of 1992, Avenue A, St. Mark's Place, right across from Tompkins Square Park, where right. all the trendoids are now. And I'm going to catch a cab to come to WABC. I was doing the morning show. And as I get into the cab, I hail the cab, I get into the back, I said, hey, Mac, Madison Square Garden. And lucky me, the guy understood English and he knew where he was going. Most cab drivers back in the early 90s had been tending uh, goats outside of Amman, Jordan, like three days before yeah, they yeah. got I mean, the they act still don't, it's, Whatever. We can talk about how bad the taxis right, are so forever. I'm maxing yeah. and relaxing. <laughs> I'm reading the Post. I'm reading the news, sports, because, you know, it made me feel good. You read current events, it sure. would make you nauseous. And all of a sudden, after a few blocks, the guy turns right, going east instead of left. And I said, hey, Mac, I thought you knew where Madison Square Garden was. And then all of a sudden, it was like driving Miss Daisy. He just keeps going, pedal to the metal. I said, hey, hey, Mac, turn this hack around. Good and God. then I hear some rustling up front. Unbeknownst to me, a jadru was stuffed underneath the dashboard, covered with a sheet. This is the gunman, Michael Iannotti. Iannotti comes up, bang, 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 before you know it. You're sitting in the back of the car. Yeah. Right, guy, I'm, so I'm he's, drooling he's a on foot, myself. He's a foot away from you, so you're you're learning about what Who 1992. Who the hell thinks somebody is going right. to be stuffed underneath the dashboard of a yellow cab in New York City in 1992? So you're sitting there making fun of Jim Kelly for losing his third or fourth Super Bowl in a row. Yeah, no, just no. Just reading the sports Although page. I applauded that. I applauded yeah. that. I hate the <laughs> Buffalo Bills. But anyway, the point being, I'm reading sports. Right. He's a foot away from you. He pops up like a jack-in-the-box. He's got a mask on. He's got an Irish walking cap on. And he says, take this, you son of a bitch. Pow. And the first shot, I don't feel anything. I've never been shot before. I've been shot at. Right. But by the time I recognize it, 
hmm, maybe I'm not Superman. Maybe I've actually been shot. He fires a second shot, and now I'm bleeding like a sieve. And all of a sudden, it's like, remember, lost in space. Danger, Mr. Robinson, danger. Yeah. The robot going crazy. My whole system is out of control. And I immediately jam, try to jam open the door because I figure it's better that I dive into incoming traffic than, you know, get shot more because the guy is just beating me on. Well, guess what? They had already figured that out because when they stole the cab originally and took it to a chop shop, by the way, Carmine Agnello, the son-in-law of John Gotti Sr.'s uh, chop shop in Jamaica, they had sawed the handles off and then put them back on with crazy glue, knowing that this crazy Karate Kid Curtis Lee was going to try to fight his way out of that cab right. like he fought his way out of the bat attack when they tooled me up 38 times months before that. And then at that particular point, as I go to grab the door and jump out, it comes off in my hand, the handle, pow, a third time right through the leg. So now I've been shot three times, and he's trying for the final shot, the head shot. And that's when all of a sudden I decide, hey, i got to take a final leap. i got to jump into the front of the cab because I have no choice. And they make a radical turn. I grab my radio, which I always have with me, my guardian angel radio, the old flip phone here, right? right. Angel 1, code red, Angel 1. Some jiu-jitsu guy on the other end, Japanese guardian angel. Oh, Angel 1, Angel 1. <laughs> that distracts the driver, D'Angelo, who testified about this in open yeah. court because he was a cooperator. And Ianati panics, and I start fighting with the gun. And the next thing you know, I feel some wind coming at me as he turns down Avenue B, D'Angelo, and I leap in the direction of what I think is an open window. I make it halfway out. I'm hanging down. He's pulling me back by my belt. D'Angelo smashes me into the parked cars. They cap another shot into my back, push me out, and they just assume that I'm room temperature. I'm going to be a speed bump, and they just head down towards the Williamsburg Bridge. They scrape me up off the asphalt, huh. put me in a meat wagon, take me to Bellevue, and then a day and a half later, I wake up in intensive care, and the first person that I wake up to is the former mayor of the city of New York, my nemesis, Ed Koch. And when I saw him, I thought he had died and gone to hell without an asbestos suit. I love Ed Koch. How am I doing? How am I doing? He hated the Guardian Angels. But I'm then sure I saw Cardinal O'Connor. So what was it with Gotti? Did he just choose to get the world's worst shot? To sh try to shoot you? Hey, I mean, hey, how wait, bad wait, do you wait, have wait, to be with a gun? How bad do you have to be with a gun to not be able to shoot a man a, a What are you trying away? to say? You're not. He wasn't Jewish. He was an Italian guy. You think he was studying to be an accountant with his number two pencil? I don't know. It just sounds like the worst you gun think, that I've ever heard of. Yeah, how, how did you kill on. somebody? You how aren't you dead? Maybe the fact that they knew that I would resist was preying on his mind that I wouldn't just be a schlub, fold like a Chief Cameron, beg for my life, please don't hurt me, please, yeah. don't shoot me. Take my manhood, take my money, take my wallet. What, are you crazy? Let's send the world's worst <laughs> the world's worst assassin to go get Curtis. You see this? But anyway, so I, I escape, and eventually it's 12 years later. Right. Uh, everyone thinks I'm crazy because I keep babbling about this, and they say, ah, it didn't happen, it's an aberration, you're imagining things. Oh, and better yet, you're such a media hog. You're such lens slice. You don't know a camera and a microphone you, you won't make love to. You probably were driving the cab and shot yourself multiple right. times with hollow point bullets just to make headlines. Yeah, right, in the back. In the, yeah. And some of my own relatives believe that. That was the shocking thing about that. So finally, Gotti Jr. gets indicted for this because Mikey scars D. Leonardo, his lieutenant, gets busted on a three-murder rap. They bring him into the Justice Department and they make him a queen for the day. That's what they call call it. You got to sit down and tell them something they don't know in order for you to qualify for a deal. Right. And after being a putz and futzing around all morning, in the afternoon after a tuna fish sandwich at taxpayer's expense, he said, you know that Slee was shooting? 
and the FBI agent, forever busting Italian, said, oh, that, give me that schmuck sleever, that guy with the big mouth on the radio. Yeah, I know all about the shooting. They said, what do you know about his shooting? I planned it on the orders of John Gotti Jr. Then all of a sudden, they were all ears. Wow. And we went to trial four freaking times. Gotti Jr. skated on technicalities. Michael Iannotti, the shooter, is doing 20 years in Fort Dix. He For this shooting uh, yep, particularly? He yep. would not give up Gotti Jr. Uh, D'Angelo, the driver, uh, obviously was the wheel man. Uh, he cooperated, so he had to do two years on another uh, crime, and then he was cut loose. And Gotti Jr. is out there in Oyster Bay Cove claiming that he's living in a life of poverty. He's got a ponderosa, and he keeps collecting the vig on all the, quote, rental yeah. properties that he has. Don't you feel pain for this? Uh, oh, oh, it's this not Anyoic, right. This yeah. Anyoic. Do you feel like, uh, do, you, do you fear for your life now? Do you ever, when you, when you go around, I mean, these things have to weigh on you. Ever since you've been seven years old, you've been getting beat up by random people. When you walk out on the streets, do you feel as if uh, you have to watch your back constantly? Yes, yes, uh, from the... Uh, the servers, uh, the legal servers from my various wives. <laughs> so the wives are more dangerous oh. than the Gotti family at this point. I read about them in the papers. They yell at me. They scream. And, you know, you can't answer back. you right. got to shut up because then you'll be accused of being a misogynist. Of course. And naturally, Curtis Lee will with anger management problems to begin with. You know, all of a sudden, uh, you'll, it'll be thought that you might do really bad things. Where Actually, I become very nebbishy. In fact, I have a, a soon-to-be wife, although I hope she says no. Why are you getting now, married again? I now understand. Why are you proposing? Did you propose to another woman? I did already. And this is your fourth and she one? Said, she said no, well, thankfully. But she might reconsider. And I oh, know Jesus. now why Jewish men who have Jewish wives die earlier than their wives, much earlier. Because you can't get in a word edgewise. You sit there, you're like a, a nebbishy little guy in the corner. Right. You just absorb it all. You're like a sponge. You're totally emasculated. You feel like a eunuch. When you actually, it's time to go to the porcelain palace, you don't go to the urinal anymore. You just sit and squat <laughs> like a female because you realize it's over. My manhood. You just cry. Right, right. Yeah. Now, now, I, now I understand what Jewish guys go through. I really do. Yeah, but are you really engaged again? No, because thankfully, okay. uh, stop asking women to marry you. What well, I'm an old, I'm old fashioned. I'm a serial marrier. I fall right. in love with them. I this, feel like it's the right thing to do right. to marry them. It is such an elderly thing, Mike, and our generation is never going to do it. It is an older uh, person's philosophy. Y you can just have sex with women. You don't got to marry them. You don't even have to talk Look, to them. I've again. done that too. That's, please, that's if you've true. read the newspapers, I've done that too. <laughs> no, I know. I, I know. I, I read a couple God, of those man, things. You would think I was Superman. Yeah. <laughs> so really. I had prostate cancer. I could really do that? What, two, three times in one night? The only thing that seems <laughs> What are they writing, a novel? Yeah. <laughs> Your PTSD is all about marriage. Oh. Post that is the funniest thing. Stress the funniest thing about Curtis is that he he is he is more uh, worried about the the women in his right. life than than oh, the mafia. I'll take on, look, I'll <laughs> take on any of the mobsters choking on their lobsters, the roided up freaks right. out there. Them I can deal with. Right. Um, how'd you get into radio? How'd you get into entertainment? When did you decide that you wanted to become an entertainer? Because for all intents and purposes, that's what we are. That's what you are. Well, you know? number one, I'm a caricature, so that helps. Yeah. Because then people can immediately say, "Wow." There's something entertaining about this guy. He doesn't take himself all that seriously. He's self-deprecating. So that will cause people to pay a little more attention. Now, obviously, you pointed out my baptism in fire the first 13 years of um, creating the Guardian Angels. I was being interviewed by everyone. 
And I am like lens lice. I, I love right. making love to microphones. You could be from Kingsborough Community College in Sheeps of Bay, Brooklyn. You know, some intern. Gee, I, could you come down here? When? Where? Uh, I'm there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just turn on the machine, go have lunch, come back, and I'll still be talking. By the end of this, I expect you to pr- uh, to propose to me, for Christ's sake. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, as long as you hold the microphone yeah. and have a camera ready. Yeah, gay so, marriage is allowed now. I so. would do a lot of interviews, and it would be adversarial. And so one time, the king of all talk radio, Bob Grant, in the afternoons, Huge ratings. But one thing about him, other than my other colleagues now, he wasn't afraid to give people an opportunity. G. Gordon Liddy became a talk show host because of Bob Grant. Mm -hmm. I and Lisa became talk show hosts because we substituted him when he would go away on these out-the-caca cruises, you know, for the buffet to be with the listeners because he liked to snore, snore the buffet. He was a great guy, (laughs) but I didn't understand that. But I became a beneficiary. So the suits, the mockers, the muckety-mucks at ABC Network listen. They say, oh, Lisa, she's wonderful. She is so articulate. But the street urchin, this knuckle-dragger, <laughs> Curtis. And Bob Grant had the power. He said, no, 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 you don't understand. Right. Curtis knows where all the bones are buried and who buried him. You can't get one without the other. You've got to hire Curtis, too. And that's how we were given our opportunity. We were doing uh, Saturday afternoons, this just like night- I am now talking Saturday afternoons. And yeah. none of the suits listen. You know, if it's not 6 to 6, 6 in the morning to 6 at night, the suits don't know what's going on. And this guy went sugar in the morning, who was morning drive. Yeah. He went so bonkers, they had to take him away. They prozac him. You know, they gave him Xanax. They didn't help. They shot him with Thorazine. They put him in Bellevue, the observation clinic. And they needed a morning show real quick. And they came to me and Lisa and said, you think you could substitute in the morning? Yes! We're, we're, we're in debt. We owe so much money on right. credit cards. Absolutely. We so were, Grant and this is Grant that you're talking about. Yes, he, he so gave diabetes finally got the buffet finally got to him. Yes, heart yes, disease, yes. Uh, you know, diabetes, whatever. Right, but we st- we're doing morning drive in New York at the number one news talk station in the nation. Right. We haven't had to earn our stripes like in Iowa, where there are more pigs than people on a two watch station. Where I've been interviewed in a chicken shack, and <laughs> you know the dream of all these men and women who really uh, pursue radio as a craft, as a career, right. and we got so lucky. We were absolutely horrible. We couldn't have been worse in the morning because I've always listened to talk radio. It right. was considered verboten. It was considered what your grandfather would listen to, but I love talk radio. Do, yeah. And a guy, David Hinckley, he must have been in a drug-induced psychosis. Not the guy who shot Reagan, David Hinckley. Okay. He writes a column for the Daily News, and he reviews television, theater, Oh, he's movies, still around. Radio. He's still writing. Yeah. yeah, I know Hinckley. He must have been listening to a different show. He writes this glorious piece in the Daily News in the entertainment section. The battling Bickersons of talk radio, husband and wife radio returns. WABC finally has a morning show. Right. The suits uptown were patting the suits downtown so hard on the back they had to go for a chiropractic adjustment. They were ready to fire us. And all of a sudden, that's how we had a career. It was all by fortune. It was all by luck. But it would never have happened if the king of talk radio, Bob Grant, hadn't said... Give the kid. Now, imagine I was a kid then. Give the kid a shot. Yeah. Give the kid. He knows where all the bones are buried and who buried them. Right. And right. I am guilty. Well, I mean, of- you were just talking about like buffet, like chicken wing bones. And, and let stuff me tell like you that. something. You talk <laughs> about fractured phrases, spoonerisms. You talk about botulizing the English language. You talk about adjectives, like coming at you like a Gatling gun. That's me. Yeah. Some yeah. of the suits would say, turn to their colleagues, what the hell did he just say? Our advertisers would say, could you understand? Could you have a translator? What is he talking about? Right, right. But I could also sell product, and no ticky, no washy, no talky. 
That's why they freaking call it commercial radio. If you can't sell product, you can't talk into the microphone. And you can't be considered offensive if no one yeah. understands what you're saying. We have so that helps too. Working on the show with Curtis, uh, me and uh, Flirty Flip, the the uh, producer, the other producer, uh, you have to learn how to speak Curtis. You yeah, have to, you have to learn because Curtis doesn't always use full sentences. No. So Curtis will want something like researched on the fly. He'll be like, "All right, get me a uh, uh, movie, Robert Redford, uh, planes," and we'll be like, "What the fuck?" Uh, and you just have to go and find. Oh, that's the great Waldo Pepper. Okay, and then he'll right. just he'll slip it in. See what I tell something. Just Wikipedia. Yeah. Isn't that what you hipsters do? Wikipedia. Yeah, it's yeah, just buzzwords. Hipsters are using Wikipedia. That's the only people using Wikipedia is hipsters. You know what? You know why I hate Wikipedia. They refuse to put on my greatest achievement because you know they literally will uh, do an exorcism on something that right. they, they don't. I am the four-time world pickle-eating champion. Really? Sour garlic pickles. Where did you do this at? My, my world record was at the 2nd Avenue de- Deli. This was after I was shot. I was competing against East Europeans from Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Ukraine, places I can't even find on the map, fellow Poles. Right. And Abe Lieberwall, who owned the place, said, you just come out like a rabbit. You know, eat a few pickles and then just drop. You know, you'll be our celebrity contestant. You'll sure. represent the Lower East Side. I hadn't eaten a piece of solid food in six months. I never liked pickles. But when I saw those pickles, they were like, it was talking to me. I thought it was below the navel and it was part of a female. She was, they were saying to me, devour me, please. And the pickles were talking to me, eat me, eat me. I ate six (laughs) and three quarter pounds. I was crowned. I, I the the mustard wow. colored belt of supremacy of a, a, a Jewish deli was bestowed upon me. I was the world sour garlic pickle eating champion. Light a match, and I would have been blown to kingdom come. That is your crowning achievement. And if I ever get to make the Curtis Lewa movie, it begins with you getting shot. Well, it begins with you being a loud mouth on the radio talking about the goddies. Then you get shot, and then it ends with you. The pickle-eating champion of the goddamn world. Why Why won't Wikipedia put that there? Why every time do they resist placing it on my Wikipedia bio? We'll get it on there, Mike. Get it on there. we got to do it. I'll talk to Wikipedia. We have the the documentary evidence. Get it on. Yep. (laughs) Four-time, four-time pickle-eating champion, Curtis Lee. That's somewhat homoerotic, wouldn't you say, for a guy who fancies himself as a heterosexual, a proud heterosexual. Why this... This fetish with pickles when Maybe I never Maybe you're a closeted gay. That's why you get married all the time. Well, who else would wear a red satin yeah. jacket and a red beret at the age of 60? You got a red beret? That's right. It's possible. What do you think about your competition growing up, uh, coming up? You had, uh, obviously, you and Stern and uh, all these. Uh, you know, Imus was already, I guess, the kingpin of radio in his own way. Well, at that time, remember, this is the early 90s. There right. was no national syndication for all these talk show hosts and hostesses. They were all local. And they were really good, really creative. Stern was at his best. Imus was at his best. Another guy who was like legacy guy, John Gambling, you know, was pimping off of his dad and his granddad. But he was good. And then you had the Spanish stations coming up, talking to all your friends, the illegal aliens, you know, Andale, Andale, yeah. uh, La Mega, you know, Radio Rado, you know, in, in, in ways that would move the meter. So it was very competitive. And then everyone became, you know, nationally syndicated, and they became boring. And they decided they were going to do their shows now from bunkers, from their ponderosas, and maybe only do three shows a week. And you'll have to listen to worst of, not best of. And they're killing this freaking thing of ours because they're mailing it in. That's what they're all doing. They're mailing it in, talking about the same stuff. Most of it is Obama sucks. Obama no. Well, Obama back- sucks this way. No, Obama yeah, sucks yeah, yeah. this way. It's like enough already. But go back to because I'm you know I'm a radio junkie. I love radio and I plan to have a very successful career in it. Uh, and uh, 
stern. I mean, what do you think? Well, wait, wait. You, you ready to take me out? You ready to take my job? You're gone. You're yeah, you're done. Say, this, you is, this, this is the, uh, this is a, uh, see a this, consider this the passing of the torch right now. This is the passing of the torch, yeah. <laughs> I'm taking over WABC. Watch out, Hannity. Someone should have shot that guy four fucking times. I guarantee he would have died. Wait a second. Sean Hannity, rock-ribbed old American conservative voice of reason from Franklin it. Square, Long Island. That's my kumbada cheech. Be careful. Be careful. Sean Hannity is the wait worst. Wait a second. Wait a second. Irish Catholic. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Jesus, right. Mary, and Joseph. Let's just say that to clear the record. <laughs> I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's been The exercise. Irish know that I hate yeah. them, so I have to oh, say that all fine. the time. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. You can hate the Irish. Everybody does. Yeah. 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 Terrible food, unless you like potatoes. Yeah, um, yeah but, uh, so, well, I mean, very interesting. Now, you have to look back in hindsight and just be amazed uh, with what a wonderful life and what an uh, amazing career you've had with the with – the, uh, with the, um, uh, companionship of these of these people. Oh yeah, no, no. I I actually had a chance to see them when they were earning their stripes, when they really right. were creative. And let me tell you, Rush, you may disagree with his politics. I think Rush Limbaugh is the greatest radio personality that's ever existed. Initially, he would do bits, he would do comedy, he would right. make you laugh. All of I that mean, is gone. Right. Sean was creative. He would have our producer now, Flirty Flipper, Jill Vitale, go down into the streets and find the morons of the world, of which there are many. Yeah. And it would make you laugh. It would bring knockers to your joy. All of that's gone. Right. It's like been removed from radio. So the one thing that uh, Ron Kuby and yours truly, we try to do on our show, is give everyone a good belly laugh because right. everyone else is straining your brain. They're just pushing their agenda. And it's killing talk radio. It really is. Yeah. Uh, and not only are young people not listening to talk radio, because first off, most of it's on AM. You have to be active-minded, so a young person generally isn't. Secondly, <laughs> it's the time you have to wake up in the morning in order to have a 9-to-5 job, something they adhor. And right. they're all FM uh, vet heads, you know, freaking morons, free marijuana, fornicating madly, because that's what FM stands for. You right, know, right. It, it lulls you. Oh, I mean, it's all podcasts now. You, you and strike like me that. as an FM vetchhead. You know, I'm you, a podcast. No one listens to uh, traditional radio anymore. You know, well, it's they listen. They listen, but we drive them Internet away. Radio. We drive them away. Yeah, and, and that's the unfortunate thing. We have abused this thing of ours that is that is the most intimate of forms. I agree. To talk, people can be half stung out. You know, they're laying out on the couch. Yep. Their eyes are rolling, and yet their subliminal mind is sucking it up. Right. I mean, I can recall listening about little gray aliens, you know, running all over America at like three in the morning, and I know I was sleeping, but the you guy were on the radio during the War of the Worlds. Oh no! no I, when uh, when the, that radio play was uh, no, no, no. The War of the Worlds occurs overnight. Now it's George Norrie. Before right. that, it was the Looney Kazuni from Parts Unknown. His name escapes me. Art uh, Bell. I re Art yeah, Bell, Art that's Bell, right. Yeah. And then before that, uh, there was a guy, Long John Neville and Candy Jones. This goes way back. He had you believing his wife was a CIA agent. And some guy was hawking a book about digging a hole straight down from Des Moines, Iowa to Peking, China. Because that's what Red China was then, Peking yeah. instead of Beijing. And he would say, very plausible. Yeah, and I can understand <laughs> how you could do that. He, theater of the mind, that's right. when radio really comes to life. Alan, Alan B. Combs, probably the greatest bit he ever did. Because when he does politics, he's okay. He's nah. great with theater of the, of the mind. He had on a, a, a group of women who came on the overnight. So you can do great overnight radio theater of the mind. And they were providing conjugal visits to prisoners in the New York State system because they felt by doing conjugal visits and yeah. sacrificing themselves in that way, it would prevent these men from coming out and raping and sexually assaulting other women again. 
Now, it was all fake for Gacy. Right. Yeah. But the callers believed it. How could you? You slut, you harlot, you. And it was so great. Alan Abel. Alan Abel would put together these little groups of stand-up comedians and thespians yeah. and performers. And they would do these things. And it was the best radio you would ever listen to. Yeah. And that's what I was weaned on. That's what I love to do, theater of the mind. Yeah. In fact, I had this guy named Brian Whitman, the Mashiach of talk radio. And I substituted for Sean I've heard Hannity. that about him before. He's the Meshach of uh, talk radio. I've heard that. That's and he classic. did Michael Jackson for an hour when he was on trial in Santa Barbara. Right. And I allowed him to imitate Michael. And people thought he was Michael Jackson. Diane Diamond, who was following Michael Jackson, trying to get an exclusive. How did you do that? His own boss, the general manager at KABC, calls up my boss here and says, Do you know Curtis has Michael Jackson on? And the guy here said, that's your guy, Brian Whitman, your right. host at KBC. <laughs> it's to bring this talent to the forefront that right. normally, with all the political talk, gets just crushed, destroyed. Just it, it never comes to the surface. Radio can be creative for comedians, for right. thespians, for people who do stand-up. It's an amazing vehicle that touches people. It does. I agree. And, uh, Curtis, you touch people. Uh, not just your wives. Uh, not like Bill uh, Cosby, though. Not Please. like Bill Cosby. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> you, you, you can talk about Cosby if you want to. You ever meet the guy? Yeah, I've met Bill Cosby. Did you know you were shaking hands with a serial rapist? No. Or did you think it was a comedian at that no, point? No, I thought it was a comedian. <laughs> yeah. A chameleon, a comedian, yes. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Is that? You just got to die. You know, you, yeah. you look at Rick, uh, you know, Rick Paterno over there in Penn State. Uh, Joe, Joe Paterno. Joe Paterno, yeah, Joe not Rick Paterno. Wait, wait, hold on. You got to understand, I went to the school, Brooklyn Prep, where he yeah. graduated from. Joe he Paterno. Was in, yeah, he was enshrined. He was enshrined there. There was, there was, he was. He God was. the Father, God the Son, and Joe Paterno. Right. That was the Trinity. Yeah. Right, right. And then, uh, of course, the Sandusky uh, scandal. Uh -huh. He dies two weeks later. His yeah. record's expunged. But by the way, if you're Bobby Bowden, the guy who is now the winningest college football coach of all time, uh, what do you do when you get the the uh, the, the announcement that you're the winningest coach due, uh, because the other guy uh, enabled a pedophile? <laughs> I mean, do you accept? I would just be like, you know what? Uh, I would, you know what I would do, actually, if I was Bobby Bowden? I'd be like, goddamn right. I won the most uh, college football games out of anybody who wasn't a pedophile. Now, what is the greatest thing about Bobby Bowden that I love? He drinks Coca-Cola mm -hmm. and eats peanuts in the Coca-Cola. I live to drink 64 ounces of Coca-Cola each day. When I heard that Bobby Bowden... You like Bowden, him because he lives the life of a circus oh elephant. Oh, my God. Let me <laughs> tell you something. He eats like a circus elephant. A peanuts, which I love, and he puts it in the Coca-Cola when he's <laughs> drinking it. Does it get any better than that? Yeah! It's better than everything, sex! Everything is better than peanuts and cola! What is wrong with you? I love that! <laughs> I hate everyone south of the Mason-Dixon line who fly the stars and bars the flag of treason like Bobby Bowden. But I love it when they drink that Coca-Cola with peanuts. Oh, it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, oh, my well. God. It doesn't get any better than uh, than you, Curtis. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show, dude. It was really awesome. And, uh, yeah, awesome. Badass shit. Listen to uh, the, the uh, Curtis and Kubi show. It's mostly Curtis. It's much like Hannity and Combs. It was always like, Hannity and, and Combs. Yeah, he'll be here, too. <laughs> so listen to the uh, Curtis and uh, Kubi show, uh, WABC at noon. Uh, get back into uh, traditional radio because I think uh, you'll find that you enjoy it and it'll be really fun to listen to when you're all drunk and alone and your wives haven't called you back in a while. You can relate to Curtis and his situation. And you, apparently. What's that? You kind of described, I think, you were much of your future. Oh, what, drunk and alone? And crying to talk radio. <sighs> I can't wait. It's going to be the best. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Curtis. That's Curtis Sliwa, everybody. Thank you so much. And uh, Mike Coscarelli, thank you, buddy. You're welcome, Ben. All right, everyone. We'll talk to you soon.